AI Mentors is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting and networking needs. Our podcast, AI Mentors, hosted by Mark Kelly, brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI Mentors cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. Welcome to the All This Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly. As part of our AI Mentors series, we are speaking to Nirmish Parikh. Nirmish was most recently the Global Head for Product Management at Philips Digital and Computational Pathology Division. He moved from the US to Eindhoven in the Netherlands to take this role. He's also got marketing leadership roles at J&J and Medtronic. Nirmish, great to have you on the show today. Yes, thank you for having me here today. Mish, tell us a little bit about your background and some of the previous roles that you've, you've got into before your most current role. Yes. So it, it's great to be on this podcast. Um, I know there's been a lot of uh, scientists and, and really technical experts on this podcast, but as you'll find in this series, uh, I'm definitely a business guy at heart. Um, uh, before I go into my background, just a couple of things that I love about um, AI as a business. It really brings together software strategy branding, installed-based marketing, and, and really clinical product development as well. Um, and I would, I would highly recommend uh, for all the folks listening that are, that are scientists uh, to really uh, take some time to understand the business side of software and AI, as I think it'll help you distinguish yourself in your career, but then also really work well with your business. So in terms of my, my own personal background, I come from a family of doctors, really common in the Indian community. And my parents were both physicians, uh, my siblings and, and many of my relatives are physicians. So that was the plan for me. I did about two years of medical school and then transitioned over to the business world, which I loved because in a lot of ways, medicine would feel rote and uh, the business world was much more, much more creative. Um, I got started with the first internet boom back in the 90s, which uh, I, I would be surprised if any of the listeners remember, but folks in my demographic would, would certainly remember. Folk, uh, founded a company focused on digital technology in elder care, and then I worked in the biotech world uh, and then moved on to the med device industry. Um, my first product launch, and I think one of the coolest things about the device business is um, how you get, how close you get to a patient's life. Um, my first big launch was uh, a product called an expandable cage. It's a it's an implant used in spine, um, and you can see it on patients' X-rays. There's actually thousands of people walking around with a device I helped design, and I can show you the parts uh, I, I designed on an X-ray, which is I think really rewarding and great just to know you've made that that impact. Uh, and then I, I worked across J and J Medtronic. They're both really great device companies. Um, then moved on to Philips, where I had a chance to learn um, artificial intelligence. Um, Philips has a really established capital equipment business, um, CT, MRI, scanning equipment, and they've leveraged that to gain access to uh, software and artificial intelligence. So they create tons of, of really interesting data. And now Philips is creating the tools to actually get insights on that very rich data. Um, uh, but yeah, I think overall, just you know, a couple of themes from my my background. The business side is is really fascinating. Um, uh, I've worked across a number of different business segments, and if you if you get into the business side of healthcare, it's always good to have moved around and worked in larger and larger revenue roles. I've done upstream and downstream marketing, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit, um, and uh, have worked with both commercial strategy teams uh, and, and customers directly. 
so tell us about the opportunity for AI within healthcare, because it's an exciting one. Yes, yes. So, you know, AI can be used uh, across um, many different industries. Um, but I think it's particularly relevant to healthcare because it's a huge industry where we currently apply human intelligence to solve a lot of problems. And that's, that's the work of a physician or a nurse um, or an allied health professional. So if you see what they do, they look at lots of data to provide um, a diagnosis and then a treatment plan. And in the past, physicians have done that work themselves. Um, but if you look at the work and the complexity of what they handle, uh, they really could use some help uh, through all sorts of um, AI-based tools. Um, another factor playing into this is labor shortages globally. You see that in a couple of key medical specialties. Um, and so intelligent automation could also help with access to care um, in, in a lot of the poorer parts of the world. So um, we've always known data is huge in healthcare. Um, in the past, a lot of this data was buried in, in written records. Um, but now a lot of those records have been uh, moved to an electronic medical record format, um, which I think was a real big opening innovation for AI and healthcare. Um, you had legislation in the U.S. that really encouraged physicians to implement electronic medical records. And then in the rest of the world, we have a single payer model um, that can be very helpful to do that. So the EMR, as you hear it referred to, um, is uh, part of the nuts and bolts of, of healthcare data management. You have a lot of textual data in the EMR. Um, so na natural language processing is something that some of the large EMR players have jumped on. Um, but uh, a lot of their applications are really on premise at this time. And if you think about the beauty of the cloud, where you can have a multi-tenancy situation and have data from a number of different uh, individuals or, or providers uh, in one database on the cloud, you can just do a, a lot of fantastic data analysis uh, off that data. Um, one other interesting thing with the EMR is that, you know, physicians will tell you it's not really perfect. You have different data models, a lack of consistency across EMRs, and the quality of the data entered um, is not always ideal. So beyond the EMR, you've also got lots of other sources of data. Uh, you have across the medical specialty world, I'd say the EMR is really strong in medicine-related specialties, uh, such as um, dermatology, uh, GI, or um, also a uh, primary care physician. Um, but outside of, uh, outside of that, in, in some of the more surgical areas, you don't really even use an EMR. Um, and some of these specialties use continuous monitoring, uh, and that might be like a wearable monitor. Um, and the data from those monitoring devices is also really simple. It can be alphanumeric or graphical. Um, the most complex set of data is pixel-based uh, data, really like x-rays, uh, scans of laboratory slides. This is big in pathology and radiology. And a lot of advances in machine vision have helped us really utilize that data and decode it and, and help um, uh, make it more powerful in the treatment and, and diagnosis process. This leads to a concept called precision medicine that a lot of folks you'll hear about in, in the healthcare world. This is the concept of bringing data from across different specialties, radiology, pathology, um, and, and using that data to really build a more insightful picture of why a patient might have a disease. In medicine, they talk a lot about gestalt, which is the idea of uh, a physician seeing all the data uh, and seeing a patient and coming up with this really insightful diagnosis. Um, that is, if we could automate that through precision diagnosis and precision medicine, I think that's, that's really compelling. 
Um, another big factor is uh, mobile computing and cloud computing. Um, and if we can actually deploy our AI algorithms through um, really nice patient and physician portals on an iPhone um, or a, a, a desktop computer, uh, you, can, you can really integrate these AI tools into the physician's workflow. And, and this is really huge. If the physician, um, if the tool doesn't fit into their current workflow, you have just have a much lower likelihood that they'll, they'll actually utilize it. Uh, so those are, those are some of the key themes. Namish, thank you for telling me this and sharing that information. So for people listening in, they may not understand about the complexities of the healthcare industry. And it's very, very easy to get overwhelmed by these complexities. Tell us a little bit about some of the major subsectors of the healthcare industry. Yes. And I think this is really helpful because healthcare is so complex as a global industry. So within this whole industry called healthcare, you've got a service sector, all the physicians, hospitals, ancillary services, and healthcare IT. And then you've also got what we call life sciences. Um, so you hear a lot of terminology. Life sciences is what people usually think of with healthcare. And there's three big subsectors, pharma, med device, and diagnostics. So the pharma business is a major consumer of AI. Um, you know, huge industry with established players like J&J, Merck, Pfizer, Sanofi, um, research-based companies. Uh, it takes them anywhere from 10 to 20 years to get the product to market. Uh, patent protection is key. Uh, and in terms of marketing, they really focus on the patient, the physician, and also the payers. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very established segment. They tend to have very large budgets in terms of what they do with, with AI or, or any product development. The med device segment is smaller than pharma. It's a growing consumer of AI. Um, a typical big device product might be around 500 million in sales versus uh, a blockbuster drug in pharma is easily over a billion in revenue. So different scale in what they sell. Um, and typical med device products might include a catheter, a pacemaker, a stent, uh, just to give you a picture of what's encompassed in that, that segment. Um, you, have, uh, you also have patents and devices, but they're not as important as pharma, and you have a lot of sales channel protection. And by that, I mean your typical surgeon who uses a med device may only have the time to see a couple different sales reps. So that's one of the, the barriers to entry. Um, uh, and the last segment is diagnostics. It's a niche market. It's not as big as the other two, um, but it is highly impacted by AI because the product of uh, diagnostics is information. It's basically a diagnosis of a disease, um, or some sort of substratification, uh, very much a capital oriented business. So they have large machines. Uh, these Abbott is a, is a big diagnostic player and you can see a lot of their large laboratory automated equipment in a, uh, a clinical lab setting. So, uh, so they for this segment, um, the revenue size of a, of a big product can reach over a billion, but it's it's really one-time purchases. So it's a little bit of a different business model than, than the other two. So taking that into consideration of all those different parts and you know, the complexities that can be there, and you, you really give a really nice articulate, seamless overview of that. How will AI impact those sectors differently? Yes. I would say the big difference across these three is how they monetize um, AI and, and what the real value prop is. So 
within pharma, you know, they monetize everything through the sale of either a pill, an oral capsule, or an injectable. But it's a therapy. It is a it's a, a therapy built off either small molecules or proteins, right? So, so the way they're using AI is to really improve the speed and efficacy of the development of those um, different products. So you'll hear the term real world evidence, which is um, a big, exciting opportunity to use a lot of the data we'd find uh, buried in a provider's databases to help improve the way that we develop uh, pharmaceuticals. They also have physician-facing tools um, uh, that they might uh, want to develop so the physician can better prescribe um, or use a medication, same with patient-facing tools. Um, but they don't. They rarely sell an AI or software product on its own. It's really all about the pharmaceutical agent. On the device side, um, the opportunity there is to really use data as a way to improve the experience with a device. Um, the, most of the device companies will monetize an implant or a consumable. Um, so not many of them are actually selling uh, software tools per se, but I would say Philips is definitely leading the way there. They've got a number of great software platforms that they, they sell. Um, so what you'll see is uh, you'll see a lot of physician-facing tools in the device business. Spine surgery is, is a really neat area where if you want to plan for a spine surgery case, uh, you could actually use a cloud-based software app uh, to help figure out which implants you want to use and then use artificial intelligence tools on top of that data to help customize the right implants and plan for your entire case. Um, another area that's exciting with AI is diabetes, uh, and you have a lot of patient facing tools uh, in the diabetes space uh, that can be used to help plan your diet, etc. Um, the last group is diagnostics, uh, and this is where um, the data can actually be the product and be sold in interesting ways, and this is what I worked on at Philips. Um, we are building uh, all sorts of cloud-based platforms where you can take a pathology or radiology image um, yeah, work with it, uh, view it, read it, uh, and then have intelligent tools to help populate that image with all sorts of automated markers, findings, uh, etc. One other one uh, company that's really interesting is 23andMe, which many of you may have heard of. Uh, I, I throw this in the diagnostics sector because they're taking genotype data and, and serving it up to the patient in a way that's, that's really inf informative and, and helpful. Tell us a little bit what's happening with within Philips and I suppose the general kind of ecosystem, if you wouldn't mind, because there's quite a few advances happening within AI, within medical device. So if you look at Philips, um, they do have a really big capital equipment business uh, and they've been very successful there. I think what Philips is really known for is just reliability, customer service, quality, um, and they've taken that and really gotten into the software world with their, um, their business focused on PAX, uh, which is a software platform used by radiologists to help read and view radiology-based images. So um, with, that, with that software play, now they get the opportunity to actually build AI tools um, that are helpful to physicians, um, but that flow very naturally from their capital in software businesses. They've got a couple different medical verticals where they play oncology, radiology, pathology, cardiovascular health, patient monitoring, uh, consumer health. Uh, I would say Philips is definitely one of the more sophisticated players in AI. What they do is you've got other companies like Cerner and Epic that actually do medical records. 
Um, but that's not really, uh, it, it's interesting, medical records are not technically medical software in some cases. It just depends on uh, the way they're viewed by the FDA. So when you get to a clinical application, I think Philips is, is much further ahead than some of the other players. Um, they've got a reference architecture for their entire uh, business, which I think is extremely progressive and thoughtful. So they're thinking holistically about how they build their software platforms. And they actually have some um, ecosystem plays, such as AI marketplaces for uh, radiology. Medtronic has a little bit of a different feel. They're very much a therapy company. Um, and when I say therapy, Medtronic makes a lot of the implants um, and consumables used in specific therapy areas. Um, so they've got uh, monitoring devices in diabetes and cardiovascular, and they take the data from those monitoring devices uh, and then put AI tools on top of that to help make the data more useful. One really cool thing they did was acquire a company called Detrino Health uh, in diabetes. Uh, and what that company does is combine uh, data provided by the patient with data from a diabetes monitor uh, developed by Medtronic, uh, and then put all of that data in the cloud and help develop personalized nutrition plans um, for patients that are diabetic and want to really manage their blood sugar. So um, uh, really innovative stuff focused around a specific disease therapy. J&J um, is, is its own really unique uh, player because they're so diversified across a bunch of different segments. They've got pharma, devices, and consumer. Uh, their pharma business is, is definitely utilizing AI, as I spoke about earlier, to improve clinical trial design. They also have some neat things going on with their lung cancer initiative and some of the other things uh, they're developing uh, in terms of tools for physicians uh, that, are, that lie ahead of the prescribing step for a physician. Um, their device business is getting into AI. Um, one interesting area is robotic surgery, where J&J has uh, really tried to catch up to intuitive surgical. Um, uh, the opportunity they were looking at with Google was to actually take, build a robot uh, and take all the data from that robot, host it in the cloud, and then uh, use a lot of Google's strengths in uh, AI and analytics uh, to make that data more useful to a surgeon during surgery. Uh, their consumer business does a lot of great stuff with consumer digital tools. Uh, if you look at their skin business, uh, they've got some neat tools that utilize a photographic image you take on your iPhone, analyze it, uh, and then provide all sorts of skincare uh, management tips. So lots of different stuff going across those three sectors. It's a really, really exciting time when you, when you share some of those examples. When we look at the commercialization of AI, talk us through the process of what that looks like. Yes, I would say the biggest opportunity, I think, commercially is just building the right AI tool and, and being really smart about uh, what you go after in your product development. I really like to think about human work and machine work. Um, and I think of I, the humans are the humans involved in any therapeutic area and the machines would include smart machines like AI tools, but also dumb machines like, uh, you know, a microscope and others. Uh, so machines are fantastic at re repetitive work all sorts of work that uh, is done again and again and again, um, and they can do that reproducibly and consistently, right? So that's a fantastic thing that, that machines can offer. Um, if you look at the humans involved in any medical procedure, um, they are often unhappy with their jobs because they've been saddled with what I call machine work. Uh, and this is just like a physician entering repetitive data in an EMR uh, or a surgeon doing a lot of repetitive steps in a procedure etc. Right. So um, the human work that physicians really want to do is stuff that expresses their human talents most fully. 
that's communication, leadership, and really that higher level inductive analysis, what I call the gestalt, where you look at a patient and you just, using all the expertise you have, you make a really good uh, diagnosis. Um, so if you separate, if you look at the job of your target uh, for an AI product, and you look at the human work they do and the machine work they do, um, the real, I think, opportunity lies in developing tools that take on that machine work so that the human involved can do more of the human work that they enjoy. And this is what we did at, at Philips. We, um, we built all sorts of AI tools to automate some of the more repetitive steps that a pathologist uh, might do so they can spend more time on what they really like to do. If you look at it this way, you get to avoid the really uh, sort of um, a painful stereotype that a lot of people have of AI as uh, a, a machine stealing their job, which is just not going to happen. Uh, really, if you, if you build the right AI tool, it's actually going to allow people to do their jobs in a much happier way. Um, so, you know, a couple things that, that I've seen that really drive success. Again, step one is focusing on the right question for your tool. And I, I kind of outlined that earlier. Try to make the human um, more efficient uh, and, and able to do what they really enjoy. The second big step is just um, uh, basically putting the product and developing it in such a way that it fits in the workflow. So in a lot of cases, look at radiology. Radiology is the most software and digitized area of medicine. Uh, a radiologist is looking at software all day long. So if you've got a tool, you want it to fit right into the software app that they're using, which today is mostly on-prem, but in the future is probably going to be cloud-based. Uh, and the third is to price it right. Um, and I'd say this is where software gets really interesting. You've got three key steps in any marketing uh, campaign, awareness, trial, and repurchase. Uh, the, the conventional idea is to really uh, monetize your app by charging upfront uh, maybe some sort of annual subscription. Um, but I would really uh, encourage people to look at some of the more um, innovative freemium models in software where you can try a product for free and then buy it later. This seems to be something that, that can really work. And if, you're, if your product is in a data business model, data economics are such that you really accrue value when you have a ton of trial and you collect a lot of data. So it may make sense for you to price low and actually drive up the amount of data uh, that you have to build uh, more uh, powerful apps on. Um, so there's a couple of principles I've seen. Nimish, can I just jump ahead and just tell me a little bit about working with a product management team and what's it like working with a product management team and some of the major product development methodologies that are involved in this area? Yes, absolutely. Um, as a data scientist, you'll, you'll definitely be working with a product management team at some point. Um, if you're in more of kind of a corporate support role where you're building apps that are not necessarily sold, but that are um, used by patients, really designed to sell the key pharmaceutical or device, um, then you'll probably uh, be working outside of some of the key product groups. Um, and you might, uh, you might actually be getting uh, all sorts of customer feedback um, directly or through focus groups, et cetera. Um, but if you're in a division where you've got like a, a separate P&L, you've got a core product management team, you're going to be partnering with the product managers a lot. Um, they usually represent the voice of the customer and try to bring that to bear on all sorts of classic business decisions, pricing, promotion, et cetera, right? So if you're working with uh, individuals in product management, 
um, you're going to you're going to be developing a product and you'll probably be using um, uh, some sort of product development methodology for that uh, on one end of the spectrum is what we call the waterfall approach where you develop a product sequentially through multiple phase gates um, the other is uh, what I think a lot of folks have heard of the agile development methodology where um, you'll be doing sprints and really iterative work. So uh, I'd say at Philips, uh, the agile approach is extremely strong and it's, it has, there's, there's many waterfall agile hybrids out there uh, and every business picks um, their specific uh, approach and methodology. Um, but they're usually iterations of those two. So depending on the development approach, you might be doing a lot of sprints. Um, you may have more traditional phase gates, but through that entire process, you'll be working with the product management team uh, and trying to uh, take the feedback and direction they give you to help develop a product. I think it's a really important point to talk about because getting feedback direction direction and helping people on that journey is so important because with the nature of research, people are going to fall down rabbit holes. They can go in the wrong direction. It's such an embryonic area, but having that structure, methodologies and following through, it just allows people to generate return on investment because ultimately people want to see their best work achieved. But if they're going in the wrong direction, it can be very, very hard to actually do that successfully. Yes, I think that's why a lot of these approaches came about as a way to corral and guide the development process, because as scientists, you'll find an interesting question and you'll want to explore the question. Uh, but as business people, we've then got to shift quickly from discovery to execution. And these are all attempts to kind of take this process. I mean, a great product development is chaotic, right? But try to get some sort of discipline in it. You've been listening to the All This Podcast as part of our AI Mentors series. I'm your co-host, Mark Kelly, Chief Customer of All This International. And I've been speaking to Namish Parekh. And Namish most recently has been the Global Head for Product Management at Philips Digital Computational Pathology Division. Namish, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Get the Aldous Advantage. Become a member of the Aldous community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all us members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldous member and get the Aldous advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldous.com. Com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.